What's going on? What's going on? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five, six, five, four, three, six. I don't know. Um, welcome to the latest episode of the Cinephile Diaries. I hope you're enjoying the new date. I hope you're enjoying Tuesdays. Um, yeah, I hope your Tuesday is going really well. Um, let's see. Where do we even start? Well, I, I guess I know where to start. Um, obviously, the first segment. The first segment of this week's show is going to be about The Last of Us from Sunday night. Um, but I do want to just preface this, like, because I, I try to I try to preface every episode with like an overview of how I thought the week was in film. This is probably the best week in film I've had since like the middle of December. In December, I watched uh, like four James Cameron movies right in a row, and James Cameron don't miss. And then I got, and then I did a bunch of catch up um, of just like movies from 2022 that I hadn't seen, and it was all the Oscar bait movies that were making people's top ten. I watched Benches of Sharon, I watched Tar, I watched She Said, I watched uh, Puss in Boots. Let's go. Um, but yeah, just played a bunch of catch up in in like a couple of weeks in December. That's the best week I've had in months. This week is like a nice close second. I got through four movies, and the lowest rating I gave is four stars. I gave one of them four stars, and I gave the other three four and a half. Like, this is one of the best weeks for movies I've had in I don't know how long, and I'm really, really excited to start talking about it. Um, Yeah, let's jump into it. So... You guys know that, like, I was pretty, I was pretty honest about uh, my opinions on The Last of Us in the first couple episodes. I felt like the show wasn't doing enough to deviate from the source material, and I just kind of had that feeling of, why would I watch this when I could just go play the source material? Uh, and then we got episode three, and the whole thing turned around. Um, I thought episode three was was incredible, poetic, beautiful, romantic. Episode three was awesome. Um. And I was a little bit worried, and a, a, a little bit less worried, but a little bit worried about going forward if they were going to stay to keep doing that, or if they were going to stick to the games the way they had in the first couple episodes. Stick to the games the way they had in the first couple episodes. Um, but I was a little bit less worried because, especially with what we were doing this week with the the plot lines that we introduced this week. Obviously, I'd seen the joke book. Uh, like I remember the joke book. I remember the uh, the magazine scene in the car. I remember all of that, but I, I, I know less about the plot going... I remember less about the plot from this point on. So, which means that the show has more room to kind of... A, sit closer to the source material and still have me kind of track with the show. And B, I'm less attached to anything that happens from this point on, so... If they want to do wild changes, I'm cool with it. Um, so now that we've gotten episode four, uh, I freaking loved it. This I, I might like episode three is kind of an experience unto itself because it's not even really about Joel and Ellie. The beauty of that story is not even really Joel and Ellie. It's Bill and Frank. This episode, we finally started getting the Joel and Ellie dynamic that I had fallen, that I think we had all fallen in love with in the game so much. 
Um, sorry if I'm if I sound weird, it's just because I'm like I have really bad allergies, or it might be a cold or something. Um, but probably a cold. It was really cold last week. Anyway, so going forward, the, the show has more leeway to kind of change stuff up and get interesting. And I thought episode and I thought episode three was awesome. Like. I thought everything this episode did, the stuff that is like burned into my brain of like Ellie, Ellie coming to that moment where she almost has to take a life for the first time, um, it's changed a little bit in the in the show, but stuff like that that's burned into my brain, they translated really well. Bella Ramsey continues to just be Ellie, like no doubt, no nothing. Bella Ramsey is Ellie, and Pedro Pedro Pascal is Joel. It's perfect. Um, so all the things that I thought were perfect are still perfect. But I feel like I know... It feels less like we're going through the motions. The show... The other thing is we're finally starting to get that Joel and Ellie dynamic. The jokes. The relationship. And we had we had gotten hints of that in the earlier episodes. Especially last episode. With what little they were in the episode. Um, but we're finally starting to get that dynamic which is what made this game so special to me. The first like the first hour, the first hour and a half that, that's covered in, you know, episodes 1 and 2 um was not as is not what makes the story interesting. It's the development of this relationship and the way that the development of this relationship affects their actions going forward. Um so yeah, I thought this episode was I honestly like last week's episode was such a the story unto itself that like it's one of my favorite episodes of TV of all time but as an episode of the last of us this might be a better episode I like I thought this episode was incredible the the, the them laughing themselves to sleep dude I almost cried like it's so sweet and you and you can only get that with Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey like, so many other actors would not be able to do that, but Pedro Pascal has such a brightness to him that he's able to, like, let that peek out with Joel sometimes. It's 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 kind of the same thing as the strawberry scene in last week's episode. Just little moments of brightness and joy and finding, in a world that's very bleak and dead and destroyed, finding little things that make you laugh. Um... Yeah, I thought this episode was extremely special. I'm really looking forward to next week's episode. Um, from what I remember, it doesn't end well. But <laughs> I'm really looking forward to, to the story of next week's episode. Um, also, one of the other shows I'm probably going to talk about on this show is a show called Yellow Jackets, which is on Showtime. And it's about, um, I think it's a soccer team, a girls' soccer team that... that uh, crashes in the rainforest crashes in the woods in like the Yukon or somewhere and like some stuff happens and then it jumps forward and you see the adult versions of these characters dealing with the things they did during the plane crash or while they were crashed um and one of the stars of that show is Melanie Linsky who's uh in this episode I love Melanie Linsky I could watch Melanie L- Melanie Linsky sorry my I I'm going to have motor mouth like all fucking day freaking day um i just cursed it's fine um but one of the yeah i love melanie linsky so getting to see her pop up and just the way the things that she brings to certain characters 
yeah, this episode this episode's pretty much perfect. This this episode is awesome. It's beautiful. It's important. I cannot wait to see where it goes next. Um, okay. Now I already mentioned how great this week was for movies. Let's talk about some movies. Alright, so the first movie that I watched this week um, is a little bit hard to talk about because it's kind of been memed to death. Um, it, and, and I've had this experience more than once where watching a movie that's been memed to death I'm a little bit worried it's going to be harder to engage with, you know? Uh, I'm a little bit worried that, like, I'm not going to be able to even focus on, like, the story and the emotion of whatever the director's trying to tell me or whatever the actors are trying to do. I'm a little bit worried I'm not going to be able to focus on that because of the memes. I had that experience with Titanic. This movie is not... I'm not talking about Titanic. Like, but I had that experience with Titanic where, like, I was worried I was gonna, wasn't going to be able to connect emotionally with the film because that movie's so memed because of the Jack being able to fit on the door thing uh and that was not my experience with Titanic I think Titanic is freaking incredible and that was not my experience with this film Brokeback Mountain um this movie's so easy to discredit because it's just like for a lot of people it's just the gay cowboy movie. Um, it's so easy to discredit. It's so, like, because it was a very artsy, like, it won Academy Awards and had a couple of, like, both at, both Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger got nominated for Academy Awards. Um, but it's so easy to discredit this movie because it's the gay cowboy movie. Um, screw that. This movie's incredible. Brokeback Mountain is awesome um because take out the fact like you can't because it's integral to the plot and it's integral to the tragedy of the film but take out the fact that they're gay characters this is a story about love this is a story about deep conquering connection and that's kind of a theme that's because i watched one other movie that's also kind of about love but this movie does such a good job of making you understand the relationship that these two characters have to one another. This thing happens in a heat in the heat of the moment on a mountain in Wyoming in the middle of summer. Um and then the movie like jumps forward like 4 years and you know, you know that it's all both of them have thought about. It's all both these characters have thought about for the last 4 years. So when they meet, when they meet back up that moment is one of the most romantic movies, moments in all of cinema. This movie just broke my heart, dude. Because uh, it's so much about love. It's so much about, like, the ways other people affect us. And the ways that they turn our world upside down. In in a lot, like, for Ennis and Jack, completely turn their world upside down. Completely, like, alter who they are. Um... And it's so easy to meme. It's so easy to meme. But this movie's so good. Jack Jack and Ennis, Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal, are so incredible in this movie. Both performances are so good. Like, because even, even, like, I had to get used to it for the first, like, five or ten minutes. Because they're, they're talking in very kind of hammed-up accents. 
Like, they don't feel like real accents, although they are, because I've heard people talk like that. Especially Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger's really good in this movie. But it's so easy to, like, make fun of this movie. It's so it's such a low-hanging, like... But, but when you make fun of this movie, you miss just how beautiful it is. How, like, Shakespeareanly tragic it is. Um... My God, I love this movie. Also, it I kept noticing how many before they were famous, or even like as they were famous, stars are in this movie. Anne Hathaway is in this movie. Michelle Williams is in this movie, who just got nominated for an Academy Award. Um, Freaking David Harbour is in this movie. Um, yeah, but so like, and <clears throat> going back to just talking about the movie real quick. There's so many scenes like. Minor spoilers for a movie that came out 18 years ago. Um, oh my god, 2005 was 18 years ago. Holy crap. Um, the scene when, after Jack has died, the scene after Jack dies, and Ennis goes to Jack's parents' house, the fact that they knew, and the, the interplay of that moment, the way his dad treats Ennis, is so heartbreaking and so beautiful and and like so he loved his kid but like oh my god it's it's su- it shows such a lack of understanding his dad didn't understand oh my god i don't even know what i'm talking about anymore brokeback mountain is wonderful like if he, i feel like i'm going to talk about this a lot this episode if you meet a movie on its own terms and don't think don't overthink what the movie should be, what the movie could have been, which sometimes that's okay to do. But if you meet a movie on its own terms and just let and just like let it wash over you, you're you're in for some really really beautiful experiences. And I think Brokeback Mountain is one of those really really beautiful experiences. Um I like I saw it Wednesday. I saw it like 4 or 5 days ago. Um and I just I can't stop thinking about it. I gave it four and a half stars, and honestly, I might bump it up to five, because I just can't... <coughs> Excuse me. I just cannot stop thinking about how gorgeously tragic and beautiful this movie is. The score! The score! The final shot! Like, oh my god. It's amazing. Brilliant, fantastic, wonderful, true romance at its finest. I freaking loved Brokeback Mountain. So my uh, my second movie of the week is a new release. It came out in theaters, I think Thursday. I think I saw it. I think I saw it the day it came out, or Friday technically, but Thursday. I saw it Thursday. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I don't know what the hell is happening, but um, Knock at the Cabin, M Night Shyamalan's new film. Uh, I, I mentioned I watched Signs a couple weeks ago to kind of prep, because I wanted to taste for a Night Shyamalan that wasn't, uh, you know, Last Airbender. Um, and I watched, so I, so I, yeah, I did that, got a taste for him, and went and watched Knock at the Cabin. Knock at the Cabin is awesome. Knock at the, like, it was, I guess this is an M. Night Shyamalan thing. It was getting pretty mixed reviews on Twitter or whatever, um... So I, I went in, kind of expect like, not really expecting too much. Like, I was expecting to like it, 
but not expecting too much. I and I kind of loved it. Like I I think for what it was trying, I don't think this movie failed at anything it was trying to do. Like I saw a lot of people talking about how it kind of fizzles out in the ending. The ending is like not really super satisfying, and to an extent, I agree with that. But uh, I I thought the ending. The ending didn't, like, tank the movie. The ending is a natural conclusion to the film. The point of the film is the journey. Uh, this is a movie where a couple with their adopted daughter... Uh, yeah, a couple with their adopted daughter goes to a cabin on a vacation, and four people show up, and four people show up with these weird weapons, and they say, uh, you have to choose to sacrifice one of you, or the apocalypse happens and everyone dies. And the entire movie is this conversation of are they right, are they telling the truth, um, or are they insane? Uh, and the... the I want to I wanna mention... Because the, the big thing with this movie for me... It starts as performances, but I think it goes deeper than performances because these performances are not as good as they are if the script is not as good as it is and if M. Night Shyamalan isn't directing it as well as he is. Um, but uh, I want to mention two people. Rupert Grint, who played Ron in the Harry Potter tr- in the Harry Potter movies, not a trilogy, there was eight of them. Um, but Rupert Grint, who played Ron, is incredible in this movie. Like, he's mind-blowing. I didn't know we had this performance in him. Like, it's such a deeply layered... And that's the thing that characterizes all of these performances, is layers. But Grant specifically... Um, Grant specifically has to bring something to this movie that not that the other three invaders don't really have to bring. Um, and Grant does it so well. And he's so... You don't really know what his deal is. And it's, yeah, I thought it was wonderful. Um, the other one who you have to mention is, for a long time there's been a conversation of who is the best actor, or who is the best wrestler turned actor. That is not a debate after Knock at the Cabin. Dave Batista is incredible in this movie. Dave Batista gives a straight up, like, brilliant performance in Knock at the Cabin. Um, he's awesome, but, like, like, genuinely, the way he conveys, like, six different emotions at once, even from the trailer, you could tell, Dave Batista's get doing something really special in this movie, um, but none of that works if the script isn't as good as it is, because the way it's written, these four invaders don't really want to be there. They're there because they believe they have to be, but they don't really want to be there, and they don't really want to be doing the things they're doing, hurting the people that they're hurting. Um, and watching that play out with them, where you're almost rooting for them just as much as you are the couple, and the daughter specifically, who was awesome. Um, M. Night Shyamalan just has a gift for drawing out really good performances from child actors. And the daughter is no exception to that. She delivers a great performance. Also, there is a Kiki's Delivery Service mentioned at the beginning of this movie. Automatic 10 out of 10. Kiki's Delivery Service is amazing. Everything Hayao Miyazaki does is amazing. Just thought I'd plug that since I haven't actually talked about 
my favorite director on this podcast yet, um, Hayao Miyazaki, directed Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, which is my favorite, um, uh, My Neighbor Totoro, Howl's Moving Castle, and Kiki's Delivery Service. All of those movies are five stars. All of those movies are basically perfect. Like, that's not, that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought every single performance in this movie was great, but they don't work if the script doesn't give them so much meat to work with, so much complexity and layers to dive into and to work with. Uh, and also, M. Night Shyamalan directed the hell out of this. It takes place in one room for like, 80% of the runtime, uh, or one cabin, like there's bedrooms and stuff, but they don't really go in the bedrooms. Um, it, but it takes place in one room for like 80% of the runtime, and you can just tell that M. Night Shyamalan and his director of photography really put the work in to figure out interesting ways to like frame shots. They The, the cameras that they used, the lenses that they used, all of it was very meticulously and creatively put together to make this interesting to watch while you're also while it's also interesting to watch because you're thinking about what's happening and feeling emotionally what's happening. Um, I thought Knock I thought Knock at the Cabin was incredible. It's it's an M Night Shyamalan movie, so it's gonna get mixed reviews. It's gonna it's gonna be like it's not gonna be everyone's cup of tea, but it was very much my cup of tea. I give it this is for the record, this is the four-star movie. This is the one I gave four stars. But it was very much cut my cup of tea, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I think you should see Knock at the Cabin. Um, yeah, it's very good. So every year, or I don't know if it's every year, but uh, the last couple of years, the uh, Letterboxd, does their own Oscars where we we like we go through and we vote and we we do the Oscars, um, and it's always a little bit more film broy than the actual Oscars. Um, like like last year, um, I had seen I don't remember how many, I think six when the Oscar nominations came out of the actual Academy Award nominations. I think I had seen six of the nominees for Best Picture. I had seen like three or four of the letterbox nominations for best picture. So like it's a little bit more film broy. This year was not quite the same. I had actually seen all 10. I guess I've evolved as a cinephile. I had seen all 10 of the best picture nominees that lot that letterbox did. Uh but there was still stuff to catch up on. I hadn't seen all of the I I hadn't seen a couple of the actor nominees. I haven't seen any of the documentaries and I'm going to do like, I'm going to do all the documentaries in like a week. Um, and that'll be a whole episode of the podcast dedicated to documentaries. Um, hopefully pretty good documentaries too. Um, but one of the films that I had not seen, and I literally had to get a new streaming service for this movie. So like it better be good. Um, one of the films that I hadn't seen was not skin and Marink, huh? Spoiler alert. That's next decision to leave. Uh, Decision to Leave is, I believe, a Korean film directed by director Park Chan-wook, um, and it's on movie. And it's basically, I don't know how to describe this movie, because it's a romance. It's, a, it's, it's like a noir romance, but with the style 
of like a Christopher like with a Christopher Nolan directorial style. Um or I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it cuz it's such a like a singular experience. It's funny, it's heartfelt, it's emotional. Um I thought it was awesome. Uh it's it's heartbreaking. Like by the end it's very tragic. Um But yeah, I thought I thought visually this is one of the more interesting films of last year. I don't know that it's going to win any of my uh any of my votes, but because uh, it didn't get a Best Picture nomination, which is very weird to me, because it's like it's the second high, it's like one of the more higher, most nominated films on the list, but it didn't get a Best Picture nomination. Um, I'm talking a lot about the Letterboxd Oscars, Oscars rather than just reviewing the movie, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought this movie was very fun, very interesting, very fun to watch, and heartbreaking. I thought it was a fascinating story of love. I should probably tell you what the movie's about. I'm like three minutes into this segment, and I haven't told you what the movie's about. This detective is investigating a murder, and uh, he starts he starts like tailing and not stalking because he's a police officer, but basically stalking uh, this the 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 murder the victim's wife, the murdered guy's wife. Um, and over the course of the film, it becomes very complex over who's stalking who and who's, um, and it's just, it's, uh, the thriller aspects are fascinating, the romance is fascinating, the, the way it, obviously the way it's shot, the editing is incredible, just like, this is one of those movies that, uh, you don't, you don't see very much, because, I mean, A, it's a K-drama, it's Korean, so you don't, you don't see movies like this very often anyway in the US. In fact, I made the joke in my Letterbox review, I know we're gonna get a really terrible remake of this directed by like Scorsese or something. Not that Scorsese is a bad director, I'm not knocking on Scorsese. The Departed is actually great. But The Departed is a remake of a movie that came out less than ten years before The Departed did. And I hate like I talked about that with a man called Otto. That's my least favorite thing that Hollywood does is they remake movies that are less than ten years old just because Americans are scared of subtitles. Um, but yeah, the I thought this movie was awesome. I thought this movie like it's worth. I don't even know how much I'm paying for a movie. I didn't pay attention to how much I'm paying for the streaming service, but uh, it's absolutely worth it. It's absolutely worth whatever I'm paying. This was a four and a half star movie. Um, the performances are incredible, dude. This movie's amazing. You should absolutely watch Decision to Leave. Uh, would it have made my top ten of last year? That's a good question. <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> uh, yes, it would have. It would have been like seven or eight. I think I'd have to go back and look and like really think about it. But it would have been like seven or eight. I think uh, it's right on the verge of four and a half and five stars. I should go into like how I do my ranking, my ratings one day. But not today. Um, but yeah, this movie, this movie's very good, and I'm I'm very shocked it didn't get a Best Picture nomination from Letterboxd. I don't care that it didn't get like screw the Oscars, but I'm very shocked that we didn't give it a Best Picture nomination. Um, but yeah, this movie's very good. I absolutely highly recommend it. The performances are incredible. It's shot really well. It's fu- it's just fun to watch, which is weird to say about a movie this tragic. But it's just fun to watch. And I really, yeah, I'll probably rewatch it. 
just because like there's so much meat there's so much subtext to to dive into um decision to leave is very good you should go see decision to leave So one of my favorite YouTubers is this dude named Wendigoon, who does like horror web series, like talks about like horror web series and analyzes horror web series or talks about true crime or talks about like he, he got, he got like famous doing these, doing these iceberg videos where he just talks about like everything on a specific iceberg. And I'm a Wendigoon completionist. I watch everything this dude does. So he put out a video on a film called Skinnamarink. Um and I had not I had never seen it. Uh I had heard of it cuz it, it got really bu- it got a lot of buzz on Twitter as a super complicated like super weird innovative experimental horror movie. Um but I hadn't seen it because like it was in less than 500 theaters and then it went to Shutter. The second count 'em, the second new streaming service that I've gotten this week. Because I got a shutter this week, also, because I wanted to watch Skinnamarink. Um, but, I, but like, I had kind of, I had kind of decided I wasn't going to watch it because, uh, um, <clears throat> excuse me, because a couple of the movie critics, the reviewers that I watch on YouTube, that are very much into horror and had seen the movie, uh, gave it like moderately negative reviews. Like, there's the uh, Cause, cause it's so experimental. Cause they're very, they're much more into like traditional filmmaking, plot stuff like that. Skinnamarink is not that. Skinnamarink is not a very traditional plot. Um, but like, there is a plot, and the plot, Matt, and the plot, like, it tracked for me very well, outside of a couple of things. Um, but the biggest thing with Skinnamarink for me is the play on that childhood fear. Because for, for those of you who know nothing about the movie, which I'm sure is quite a bit of you, quite a few of you, um, <laughs> the way it's shot, it's shot from low angles, and you never see, you see one face, two. You see two faces in the entire movie. So all you see is, like, characters' feet, or you're staring at a wall, or you're staring at a ceiling, and there's sound, and, like, you'll hear, you'll hear sounds, or you'll, like, see something happen, but it never, it doesn't do the traditional thing of, like, close-ups, focusing on a face, focusing on a performance. Um, it doesn't do that. It, (laughs) it could, and it doesn't do that for a reason, because this is, this, this, the story of the movie is, uh, Wow, I have really delayed talking about the plot of these movies till deep into the segment on the last, like, two movies. Um, but the story of the movie is these two kids discover that their parents are missing and the doors and windows to their house have all disappeared, so they can't leave. Um, and the movie is all... I thought, for the first, like, 45 minutes, it seemed to me that the story was being told from the perspective of the house. From the perspective of, like, this thing that is built that was probably there before this family moved in and will probably be there after this family moves out. Um, And I don't think that's what the movie was doing. But the story is very much told 
f- from by the house, from the house, not really through performance, through uh, traditional narrative, traditional script. There's very, very little dialogue. Um, but I've spent a lot of time talking about what the movie is because it's very hard to explain what the movie is. Did I like the movie? Um, yes. Oh my god, yes. This, A, I will be surprised if this movie's not at least in my top 15 of the year. Um, this, this also might be one I bump up to five stars. Um, I gave it four and a half. This might be one I bump up to five stars. This is one of the most, because I watched it middle of the, I have a story actually. I watched it, started at like 9.30, so it's dark, pitch black, couple almost everyone's already asleep um almost everyone uh and i'm like half asleep when i start it uh and this movie is very like it's tall like there's not a lot of light in this movie so it's very dark so and because i knew what the movie was going in i knew i had to be locked in so I barely took my eyes off the screen just because I was trying to figure out what was happening, what the mystery was, what the story was. Um, so I was locked in on this movie. And it's paced brilliantly, honestly. Because it opens in a in a kind of normal world where like it's still it's still shot this it's still shot the way it's shot, but like you meet the parents a little bit, um, you meet the dad a little bit, uh, and then the windows and walls, the windows and doors disappear, um, and then it slowly builds, and more things start happening. More, because it's kind of a haunted house movie. More supernatural things start happening, and then and then you get to and then you get to like the forty minute mark where like big things start happening, and then it gets more intense and more intense and more intense, and. A first the story, and then I'll talk, and then I'll talk about like the actual like experience of the movie. But, like halfway through, I left my door was open a crack. Like halfway through this movie, in like a really really intense moment, or like right after a really really intense moment. So I'm like curl up in a ball already. Um, my door bursts open, and I freaking I I screamed. Like I didn't scream, but I almost screamed. It's because my dog had like run into the room because she was running from my dad because she didn't want to go outside but i like i almost could i almost didn't finish the film i almost was like like after that happened and i almost had a heart attack i almost turned the movie off like it was uh, it was insane but the actual movie itself not talking about like the the external experiences talking about the actual movie itself maybe maybe because of that external experience um this is one of the most viscerally terrifying movies I've ever seen. This movie freaked me out. Like, and I think a part of that is because of how little I knew about it going in. Um, I, like, I knew it was about kids, but I, it never dawned on me. Slight spoiler warning, slight trigger warning. It never dawned on me that we were gonna, that, like, kids were going to die. Um, so, like, I the stakes. I talk. I've talked a lot on this podcast about stakes. This movie. This movie had me like screaming, not screaming, but like yelling at the screen, like "Don't do that! Don't do that! Don't do that! Hell no! Don't do that! Don't do that!" 
I was like curled up in a ball by the end of the movie. By the end of the movie, I was literally crying. By the end of the movie, I was literally crying. Um, look, look, I've gone really long on this segment talking about this movie. And I think 80% of people are going to hate this movie because it's so experimental, so weird, so different. But if you're not in that 80% and you're down for a movie with like very little dialogue that's very quiet, very dark, very experimental, you're just you're basically just staring at a wall for like 10 minutes at a time. Um, if you're down for that, this movie's really special. This movie's brilliant. It's incredible. You can just tell that, it, that the guy who made it just had a hunger and wanted to make a movie and had an, ex- had a, had an experience. Movies are therapy. That's a Spielberg quote. Um, had an experience that he wanted to sort out through his art. And he did that. And it's brilliant. And it's terrifying. And top two or three most viscerally horrifying experiences I've ever had watching a movie. Um, absolute, the bar for my year in film has been set. And I gave it four and a half. There's room to grow. There's room to get five-star movies. The bar for the year has been set. Skinamarink is incredible. And you should absolutely... I don't know that I recommend buying two new streaming services in a week, but you should absolutely get a Shutter account because it's a Shutter exclusive to watch Skinamarink because it's intense, it's beautiful, it's heartbreaking, and I need somebody to talk about it with because I need to talk about theories. Um, go watch this movie, please. It's awesome. <laughs> Wow, so I went really long talking about that last movie, didn't I? <laughs> um, it's fine. That movie's worth it. That movie's that movie's insane. That movie's incredible. Um, honestly, I want to see eighty for Brady. Like I'm just thinking of thinking about next week. Eighty for Brady came out this week, but I want to see it because I haven't seen Sally Field in anything in like a decade. I miss Sally Field a lot, so. I might go see that this week. Other than that, I have no idea what I'm going to watch this week. Next week might be a really short episode, which is fine because this episode is going to be really long. Um, if you're still here and you're you're still here after I you watch me rant for 10 minutes about an experimental horror movie, uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm really, really honored that you did that if you're still here. Um, and, yeah, I think... I think you should go watch the movies that I talked about in this episode because this was a really, really great week. Um, and I, uh, I can't wait to talk. Can't wait to do this again next week. Thank you so much for listening. Comment down below or whatever. Uh, bye bye. <laughs>